morning. I am really glad to be here. I uh, don't think I've ever been live streamed before. Uh, this is all, I'm a real old timer around here, and I know there are folks that are new, uh, and I want to introduce myself to you. I um, love this place. It has been my life for more than 50 years. Started attending here in 1967 as a college student. Uh, Leslie and I raised our kids in the embrace of this congregation. I served as a pastor and then elder for more than 40 years here, and we still love being part of what's going on. So that's who I am. Steve Zeisler, as Bruce said, is my name, uh, and I'm grateful to God for this opportunity to speak about Joseph. We're in the the, at the end, actually, uh, of a long series, wonderful preaching that's gone uh, on through the life of Joseph, and I get to be here right toward the end. I want to uh, also say a shout-out um, before we d- dive in to those who are shepherding the church these days. Um, you know, the sight lines here are new. Um, the, the distance between us is easing. Decisions need... Uh, Difficult decisions about how to shepherd people through hard times, through protocols, through all kinds of things have just been made well. You probably know as well, churches all over the world have found it extremely difficult to navigate all this stuff. And and now that things are opening up again, there's all kinds of opinions about what should happen or not. And uh, I am just so grateful for the leadership we have in this church and kind of how they've, they've done been uh, leading us through these times. Look, there's a new day coming. The dawn is breaking, and there's exciting things. You know, I can tell you stories that go back 50 years, but there's exciting new uh, adventures before us, and uh, we have a lot to look forward to. Joseph um, is a remarkable, one of the remarkable characters in the Bible. His story takes the gamut, goes the gamut from the pit to the, the highest place as a ruler of Egypt. He serves in the, the story of salvation as the bridge between the people of Israel, the people uh, inhabiting the land that was promised to them, given to them. So he's the bridge uh, between the uh, life in the promised land and the crucible of long years in Egypt where a nation will be forged. The family of God, the family of the people of God are moving on, in this text, finally to Egypt for a long sojourn and difficult sojourn. They, they, they're starting a new chapter, and Joseph is the way they... Uh, he, he was born, of course, in Canaan, and now he resides, and they will as well, in Egypt. We're in chapter uh, 50 uh, today, and there are two scenes, two um, sections... To, these, to this text, and they both include, or they both feature Joseph's tears. He weeps in, in each, they're different occasions, but each of them, uh, we find Joseph weeping, and maybe that will help us see what there is to see. In the first, there's his grief at the death of his father, and in the second uh, part of this text, there's his grief at the brokenness of his brothers. Let me begin reading in in verse 1 of chapter 50 of Genesis. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. You might recall the end of chapter 49, Jacob breathed his last and pulled up his feet and 
lay back in his bed and died. Now, now his son Joseph comes and fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, and that is, <clears throat> for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak to the ears of, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, all of the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. We'll go back to verse 1 and just ask us to kind of picture that part of this scene. Joseph falling, uh, embracing the body of his father, kissing him and weeping um, as his father uh, saying goodbye for the last time to his father. Now, this Joseph's relationship with his father um, had um, was, was troubled because of the great length of time they were forced to be apart. Joseph was the, his father's favorite son uh, into his teen years, and then uh, through the uh, machinations of his brothers, was sold into Egypt, and 40 years go by, and Joseph, uh, Joseph was, well, not quite 40, but you know, decades go by, in which Joseph was separated from, from his father, in which he assumed that he would never uh, see him again. He assumed that all his family back in, in the promised land was lost to him. And, uh, and yet there's this amazing reunion when, because of the famine, his family comes to, to Egypt, he finds that, that they are still alive and he might know them again, and, and he asks, is my father, is my father still alive when his brothers came to him? And, and to find out that he was, it was just an incredibly emotional experience for Joseph. And then as the family had now lived with him in Egypt for 17 years, he had the chance for reconnecting to his father listening to him, loving him, caring for him, this, this profound love relationship. And First um, Thessalonians um, 4.13 talks about Christians and grieving. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have died, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. Christians, as, as all humans do, grieve, at the loss of, of one who, who is loved, one who will be missed, one uh, with whom we might have walked more days but cannot now. There's this, this sense of wishing life were different, knowing it can't be, and processing it emotionally. Everybody grieves. But what's important for us who know Christ is that we grieve with hope. We grieve not as if death is the end. We grieve not as if the final enemy, Paul calls death in, in First Corinthians, Paul says, death is the final enemy, but it is not an enemy who has victory. So we grieve with hope, and uh, that's what I want us to consider for a moment before we move on. It says of Abraham and Isaac, the first two patriarchs, 
as they died, the text says that they lived a full life. They lived, they died at a good old age, having lived a full life. And that's true of Jacob as well. Not every death is, is that way, of course. There are some who die uh, under painful circumstances, under, under, under unexpected cir- circumstances, who die earlier than they might have. But if a full life has, has been lived, as these patriarchs lived, if, if they had walked with God and struggled and failed and learned and came to the end of their lives, honored by God, loved by their families, it's a good life, a full life. And, and, and that's what we see before us here. And, uh, and so Jacob's grief is real, but it's not it's not the final word. And uh, I've been to some amazing uh, memorial services in this building, in this place. Some of the favorite things that I remember is, in the years I served as pastor here, is being with people who gather together after a, li- a full life has been lived and good years have been accomplished. We get to talk about the faithfulness of Jesus we get to talk about we lo- what we loved about our departed, dear departed friend. We get to, to think about the things of God and laugh at, at the peculiarities of, of human beings and to connect with one another. We grieve with hope. Joseph was grieving for his father with hope. And just um, three things I might offer you as contained in the notion of grieving with hope. The first is gratitude. These services in which we're saying goodbye to someone we cared about, we find ourselves grateful for so much. We remember days and opportunities and characteristics and adventures and sorrows that were lived through, and we have so much to be thankful for. Secondly, I think a memorial service Grieving with hope for those who have lived a good life includes uh, self-reflection. Where am I now? I'm saying goodbye to someone, but someday they'll say goodbye to me. And, and am I aligned with the things of God? Am I paying attention to what's important? There's self-reflection that takes place in settings like this. And lastly, I think an important element of grieving with hope is to affirm that this is not the end. We're stepping through a door. There is reunion coming, reunion in the presence of Christ. Uh, this, this, is, this event is, is the end of something, but it is, at, it is pointing forward uh, something much greater. Re, our, our reunion together in the, present, in the presence of the Lord. Verse 9 of Genesis 50, this uh, entourage is moving from Egypt up to uh, to Canaan, and uh, Joseph is effective in in all his his Egyptian responsibilities, and and the the funeral procession goes forward. Verse 9, and there they went up with him, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. 
Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim, that is, means Egypt's morning place. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah at the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with, uh, with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. And there he buried his father Joseph and returned. Then after he buried his father Joseph, his father Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. So the Egyptian part of this story, of this cortege, that massive uh, number of people that go up to Canaan, they're carrying the embalmed body and so on, we might observe here not grieving with hope so much as grieving with ostentation. Uh, um, There's a, the the intention of the family, Jacob's family at, at his request and at their approval was to take the body and put it in a cave. Um, But the the Pharaoh had sent nobles and energy and, you know, all this stuff going on. We read uh, a high-volume, attention-grabbing spectacle, if you will. The protocols of Egypt are much different um, than the the intention of of uh, Jacob's family. High-volume, attention-grabbing spectacle, it says, a very great company cried in a very great and grievous lamentation, which was elaborately staged, lasted for days, and made a powerful impression on the Canaanites. The, uh, the problem with Egypt is they don't, the Egyptians and their culture and their way of life is it was not founded on any word from God or promises of what he would mean to those who live their life in his presence. The requirement in Egypt that if someone important died, they had to be made much of in order for their, the, the, the significance of their life to be noted. They had to appeal to some unknown beyond, hoping that by energy expended in burial, some life to come might be achieved. They had no way of knowing what the family of Jacob knew about the intention of God. And so they, they carry on these over-the-top celebrations to create something rather than to receive something given to them by God for free. The, the same distinction is made, I think, in a, in a passage in Hebrews I want to read. It says, By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived their entire life in tents because the city that God would build for them was coming. Their their home was not in this world finally. Their home with foundations that would last was not here. Jacob insisted on on living in a tent and being buried in a cave as a way of talking about trusting God for promises made to them. Their hope was in the living God, not in the the performance of the accomplishments of this life and their celebration in burial. They lived in tents, buried in a cave. Now, we, we live amongst folks who do not know the promise of God 
as the Egyptians did not. We live among those who can't see the city that's coming, who don't know what God has prepared for us, a city with foundations, a place of uh, community, a home, as Jesus said, he goes to prepare for us in his Father's house. We live among people that don't know that. And we have the opportunity by our lives to, to witness to something that's true that is unknown by our friends and those around us. The, um, we, we live among those who, on some level, hope that palaces in this world or fortresses or gilded sepulchers or some other thing will be enough, uh, that it will accomplish something that they don't know how to accomplish otherwise. And we got to make note here, Joseph doesn't critique the Egyptians for the, the burial they accomplished, for the, the, the great crowd that went with him, for the loud lamentation. I mean, the Canaanites renamed it and a part of their land after this loud, over-the-top lamenta- lamentation of the Egyptians. Joseph doesn't criticize those who don't know better for not knowing better. But he he lives a different life himself. He and his brothers, at the end of the day, will take their father to the cave where he he intended to be buried because that was given to them as certainty that the promised land was for them and eventually beyond the promised land, the heavenly heavenly city. Um, It's interesting. uh, Every time the burial cave is mentioned, at the end of chapter 49 as well, when Jacob said, where should I be buried? He, He gives this long talk about, well, it's east of Mamre. It's the cave of Machpelah. It's at the end of the cave of Machpelah. It's the, it's the cave that we bought from Ephron the Hittite. It's like they have to give the address every time because you'd miss it otherwise, right? You need to know the GPS coordinates to find the, the burial cave. In Egypt, they have pyramids that last for thousands of years. In this case, it's, the place is obscure enough, apparently, that you've got to make sure you get the right one. Uh, the place of burial holds little or no significance except that it, it, it is a way of announcing what is believed by these people. Um, and, and, and so they, um, they take their father, bury him there, and look forward to the day that they'll be reunited. We don't need to criticize the, those around us who don't know any better, who don't believe any better. But we can live our lives, and we must, in a way that testifies to something different. We don't have to worry about our life being uh, made worthwhile by all the stuff we accomplish here. We don't measure ourselves by the riches of this world. We don't have to go out with some sort of remarkable ceremony as if that will accomplish something for eternity and and place us in, in the world to come. And if we, have the, if we have those values and live that way, the people around us will begin to wonder what's different and, 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 and seek out, perhaps, the faith in God that we have been given. So the family returns to Egypt, and they will reside there for a long time to come. This is the end of the story of the patriarchal family having, uh, having a residence in the promised land. 
And having gone back, we have one final scene of one final uh, series of events in, in, um, in Joseph's life, and that has to do with his brothers. And we shouldn't be surprised that Joseph's story ends in a confrontation with his brothers. It began with, his, with conflict, confrontation with his brothers. It ends with another engagement, uh, Joseph and his brothers. Um, it turns out, I think, that um, family brokenness uh, is the most dysfunction and brokenness in families is the most difficult thing to change. It lasts the longest. It goes the deepest. It requires, I think, a willingness to engage over time and trust God. That certainly is true of Joseph and his brothers. Remember the first problem was Joseph dreamed of his brothers bowing before him and enraged them to such jealousy they, they were determined to kill him and only barely didn't. This awful tension uh, in their jealousy. And then in the middle of Joseph's story, when he's the ruler of Egypt, his brothers come and they bow before him as the dream had, had uh, indicated, not knowing it was him, desperate for food, starving in, in, uh, in, in the famine. And Joseph uh, is a you know, realizes who it is, and for him, he is now reconnected with the family of the promise made to Abraham. Now he is, he, th- he thought himself all these years lost, cut off from not only his family, but the, the way, the, the promises God made to his family, had no notion that it could be, could be brought about again, and it is, it is his brothers in front of him asking for help that allows him to enter back into his family, and, and they're, they're key players in his story. And then finally, uh, at the end, we find his brothers again, uh, finally will be reconciled to Joseph. The tension they have lived with will finally have a resolution after long and difficult days. Verse uh, 15 of Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father um, gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And please now forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Just briefly, Joseph, J- Jacob never said any of this. <laughs> they, we, we must assume that these brothers in their guilt and their, their fear, now that jo- Jacob's gone, They have to put in some uh, appeal on some basis that Joseph will treat them well. Jacob never asked that he that they uh, that Joseph act on this basis. His brothers also came and fell down before him. Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, "Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear." I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Um, Joseph cried when his brothers came, again bowing before him, again uh, attempting to, that he would treat them well on the basis of some made-up statement from their father before he died. Joseph had forgiven his brothers. They could not see it. 
His sorrow is for the lives they lived under the burden of, of guilt and weariness and uncertainty. He must have thought all these years they've been together now in, in Canaan as, as he's brought his family there and his, they're, they're in Goshen, they're thriving. He must have thought, these guys, every day they see me, are worried about me. They, they, they haven't found freedom yet. And he's, he's sorry for the, the kind of painful restrictions they've lived with out of their guilt and inability to be certain that, that God can bring good out of, out of tragedy. So he cries as he cried at his father's uh, bedside his, uh, after he died. There are three things that Joseph said. This is a remarkable statement by Joseph. Um, let me read it again. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are to this day. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. There's three amazing um, decisions uh, that Joseph made as he had, he had grown in faith in God. There are three, three things that are true of Joseph in, in this statement that I think are evidence of maturity. If we would ask ourselves, what... What evidence would I look for in a change, my life being changed that would suggest that, that God has had a chance to form me out of what I used to be into, what I, into the new thing that would give honor to him? These would be three really good ones. The first is leave vengeance to God. Do I believe that God will not only do justice but, but you know, act against those who, who have harmed me. One of the most tragic realities of our world is the kind of the cycle of vengeance that happens over and over again, where an individual is hurt and cannot trust that God will do anything about that to make things right, to bring about change, and, and strikes back. Where a nation is hurt, where a, a, an ethnic group is hurt, where a court case goes the wrong way, where a political situation seems to, you know, be painful, and that whatever the hurt is requires some kind of vengeful response on the part of the one who is hurt or perceives themselves to have been hurt. How does it ever change? It only changes for someone who has been hurt to say, I will not strike back on my own behalf, but I'll trust God to take, to take up my cause. Now, this isn't the same as ignoring working for justice, because working for justice implies that I, I want the benefit of someone else who's been hurt. I will take up the cause of others that, that need, uh, to, things need to be made right or, or to restore what's lost or something. Vengeance is personal. I will hurt the one who has hurt me. And how do we ever get beyond that? Except in this case... God has acted for Joseph. Joseph learned finally that it's enough. What he's done with my life is enough, but he will or will not deal with my brothers on his own terms. And I can trust him so that the pain I feel and the longing for revenge need not be asked, uh, acted upon. I am not in the place of God, Joseph said. A second thing in this statement, I think, is that God transforms evil into good. The brothers intended evil. They... They knew it. Everybody knew it. They'd, 
They'd been, they never actually confessed. They, they got caught. They, you know, they were finally exposed when they came to Egypt. And, and, and on some level, um, their, uh, their evil intentions are the problem. They really did want Joseph uh, to suffer. But what got, they intended for evil, what, what resulted in pain for Joseph, God brought about um, a good outcome in, in, in its place. And this is as hard to believe as, as anything, I think, is that suffering is, especially suffering that is, intends evil, intends for some kind of terrible outcome to result, can be transformed by God into good. But that was Joseph's story. And, and instead of letting painful, chaotic, hurtful circumstances say to us, this is the end, we hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to us, saying, no, it's not. That you are beloved of God, and, and, and evil intended against you will not prevail. That at the end of the day, good will come, good will come because God will bring good about in, in place of those who intend evil and destruction of us. The third thing uh, I think we see in Joseph's statement is that forgiveness is complete when it's acted on. Joseph had told his brothers before now that, you know, enough's enough, no hard feelings. Um, and he'd actually uh, been good to them in, in resettling them in Egypt and so on. Uh, but he takes it a step further here. Um, Do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he spoke kindly and comforted them. It, saying that all is okay between us, saying that I forgive you, getting over an argument by sort of, with, with words only, isn't enough. When God is bringing about restoration, we are actually able to do good to the one who hurt us. We're actually able to wish the benefit of and act for the benefit of and care for the little ones of someone with whom we had been at horrible odds. We act upon... Um, the, the, the forgiveness that we have spoken. Um, and so the, uh, the actions, the, the stories where Joseph's, uh, this, this is the final story uh, in the Joseph uh, saga where we see him uh, fully uh, mature in his faith and we see in his relationship with his brothers what began with violence and jealousy is now at a place of, of restoration. And, and again, as Joseph's story has all the way along, these things can really encourage us. God isn't get, hasn't quit acting like this. And, he, and, and the lessons that Joseph learned are lessons that he will, he will allow us to learn and walk in and rejoice in, finally. But here's the thing. The, the, knowing what God did for Joseph and knowing the implications of them are not enough. And this is something, a difference between having an old guy uh, come to the end of this story and someone might, like myself 20 or 30 years ago. I used to think it was enough to know the truth, that God uh, brings uh, good out of evil, that, um, that God will restore what's been broken, that, that God can be trusted in hardship. That, and on. So you, you just learn the, the, the biblical realities. You learn what's true, and, you, and then it's up 
to you and me to apply what's true. I should forgive my enemies. All right, my turn. I'll go forgive my enemies. That more knowledge leads to, to more transformation. But, but what I've learned the hard way over many years is knowing more does not necessarily do me any good. I need the living presence of Jesus Christ in my life to accomplish any of the good intentions that I, I can take out of a great story in Scripture, the good example that I want to emulate. I can't. And, and oh, you know, again and again, the idea that, well, if I just knew a bit more, I would be further along. I've, I'm, I'm past believing that. God, if you don't act, if you, if you don't stay, if you don't provide what I need, no more information will help at all. There's a, um, I heard it, uh, listened to a sermon at Easter this year. Um, it was a preacher preaching on the story of the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. And Jesus begins to walk alongside some of his disciples and they, they, they converse with him not knowing it's him. And in this conversation, it says he opened the scriptures to them and taught them all that throughout the Old Testament, why the Messiah had to suffer and die and, and be raised. And, and so they're just this amazing Bible study, and they walk along, and the day goes, and, and they are completely informed. They now see what they could not see before. They thought his death was a tragedy. They know that it's not. He is raised. The future has come. They have all the information they need and believed the information they need as this stranger opened the scriptures to them. But here's how, how the, the story goes in Luke. These, um, these travelers who were walking with the Lord not knowing it was him. And then finally realizing. Luke 24, it says, He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly saying, Abide with us, stay with us, for it is toward the evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. What I didn't know, and this is part of the sermon uh, at Easter, is the beloved song I have loved a long time, beloved by many, great Christian hymn, Abide With Me, was written from this text. Don't go. Abide with us. The, the evening has come. Stay with us. It's not enough to know what the Bible teaches. We need you. Abide with us. And um, I, the... The, info the information that becomes transformation comes when Jesus is there. When, when we know how to uh, trust him, call upon him, reach for him, receive his, his loving touch of us, when we recognize his presence within us and around us, when, when he is the one that is making the truth we have and truth we're aware of life-changing in our experience. And I, I want to close... Our, uh, our, our time this morning, the sermon this morning, by reading the text of that hymn, Abide With Us. It was, again, written um, based on the, the request by the disciples on the road to Emmaus that Jesus would not go, stay, be with us. And, and um, so this is a prayer. I ask you to receive it as I read it, as our prayer um, to finish this morning. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fall, fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, 
oh, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou the cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me.